Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Alrighty, welcome to this podcast episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm your host, my name is Jan Burt, and we're here to take yet one more look, another good hard look at some of God's promises that are made to us as his followers, and much more than just followers, but as his dearly loved children, because that is truly who we are, and I hope you end your time here today knowing how absolutely, massively, dearly loved you are in an even deeper way than you did before you started listening. So uh, the reason the show is named The Burt Not Ernie Show is because I'm a Burt. That's my last name. I am not an Ernie. Kind of a throwback to, gosh, a couple of the most beloved Sesame Street characters of all time, Burt and Ernie. Um, An important part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not and not letting your enemy try to convince you that you are not who you are, and that you are who you are not, if that makes any sense at all. So the Burt Not Ernie show, let's take a look at a promise from from the Word of God from the New Testament today, and let's just see how that applies to this um, notion that we can know who we are and know who we're not and live our basically our best life ever as believers as a result of really knowing and living and living believing the truth about who God says we are. So in the last episode, we took a look at a verse from the Old Testament. We were in Joshua, and uh, gosh, it's just really one of my favorite portions of God's Word. I've said that before. I just love it when I get to Joshua. And the 23rd chapter of that book is, it's just really pretty fantastic. It's If you haven't sat down and read it in a while, uh, that'd be a really great way to spend some of your Bible study time, your devotional time, like maybe this week or even tomorrow, tomorrow morning or tonight, if you do your Bible study in the evening. I just want to encourage you to kind of follow up with reading all of the chapter that we'll be referencing today. And today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. It's the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the kind of troubled and um, sort of the bad boy church at Corinth. Uh, and before you start to read, oh, here, I guess maybe do this, like read Joshua 23 one day, like maybe read that on Tuesday. And then like Wednesday, you could read Second Corinthians chapter one. It's just a way to read them back to back. But try to do that this week. And when you do that, before you start, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through these two chapters to kind of see what he has to say to you through his word that relates to whatever you're going through in life right now, your current circumstances. Both of these chapters were written by God-fearing men, both of whom had been appointed to positions of leadership over God's people, Joshua and Paul, and both of whom were not too far off from the end of their own lives at this point in time. They They were like passing on vital information, some correction, warning, encouragement, all the things that those people 
that they'd been entrusted by the Lord to lead, what they were going to need to hear from them and kind of their at the end of their life. So, and both of these men had to deal with really tricky and complicated and difficult situations. And also they had to deal with really stubborn people and, um, raise your hand. If you are a stubborn person, raise your hand a little lower. If you know, stubborn people, like really the first litmus test is always about ourselves, right? So am I stubborn? Yes. My hand is up. Do I know other stubborn people? Of course I do. So my hand is down a little bit lower, still raised, but a little lower because I need to always be about the business of saying, Lord, change me clean me up, fix me, sanctify me, and please don't let me point a finger at anybody else if I am not willing to let you come alongside and correct me where I need it. So they dealt with stubborn people. So if you know stubborn people or are a stubborn person, then these two chapters are going to be very beneficial for you. So read both of those in their entirety this week. And I made note of that in the show notes. So you know, you can, you don't have to try and write that down if you're driving and listening or something, drive safely and uh, glance at the show notes later. It'll tell you what to read. So, oh, there's also like something I thought of that was really interesting about both these men, Joshua and Paul. They both had seasons of kind of like, oh, sort of semi-obscurity. Joshua, when he was in Egypt, we don't really know much about him. Um, And then when they were in the desert for 40 years, even though he had the faith to go in and take the land alongside Caleb, right from the get-go at the time that they ideally could have gone in, he still had to pay the price and wander 40 years, even though he wasn't paying a price for his unbelief. He had total belief. And with Paul, um, we know that he was, when he was, before he changed his name, when he was named Saul, he persecuted the church. He persecuted and even murdered Christians. And then he had a time where after the Lord revealed himself to Paul and he came to Christ, he had a time of kind of being put away. He was, um, He wasn't in a leadership position in the New Testament church right off the bat, to say the least. He had a time where he was put away. I love the fact that both of these men, even though they probably knew full well that they were very competent and qualified leaders and had been in Saul as as a Jew before he became a Christian and Joshua in Egypt, most certainly had some type of influential role, leadership role over his people the chosen people, God's, God's beloved Israelites, even though they knew they were competent, they were not fighting to get into a leadership position. It seems to me, now this isn't laid out in the word of God, but I think it's probably true, probably safe to say they were very much content and comfortable just serving the Lord and loving the Lord, even in a position that was not one of leadership. And so when I think about that, it makes me kind of more endeared to both of them. And I, Um, And just more aware that what they say came from a heart that just loved the Lord. And of course, everything that's in the word of God is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's God's word, not man's word. So um, that's a little backstory just to give you kind of an idea about these two chapters from two different parts of the Bible. The Old and New Testament can sort of relate to one another, even though they're maybe not exactly focused on the same topic or the same content or subject matter, we can still pull a lot from these two chapters studied kind of side by side. So today we're going to look at the verse in the Amplified Bible, which is, it's really good to examine sometimes because the Hebrew and the Greek were just, they were such rich languages. The translation into English doesn't always convey like the totality of the words from the original languages. We just 
English tends to be like we might use a whole phrase to express a bigger thought. In the Hebrew and Greek, they didn't always need to do that because many of their words carried within them more than an entire American English sentence carries. So the amplified just adds in a lot of the extra verbiage, kind of like looking at your Strong's concordance to find out the deeper meaning of a word or all of the 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 description of a particular word. What does that actually mean in the Hebrew or the Greek? Rather than getting out your Strong's and going through it, the Amplified just adds in a lot of extra verbiage to give the reader or, you know, the lady who loves Bible study, which is totally me, a bigger or maybe better, clearer imagery than that single word in our modern language conveys. So that's why I'm going to read from the Amplified today. And then I'm going to read it from uh, just the NIV probably. So you have two two points of reference for this one verse. The Amplified Study Bible reads like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. So through him, and that's a capital H, so it means through Jesus, we say our amen to the glory of God. And then the other version just says, uh, a few less words, it says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So it's not like there's a massive difference when we read it in the Amplified, but it just adds some depth that um, it helps us see what Paul was saying with more exactness, if that kind of makes any sense. So, okay, so just in case you listened to that prior episode, and um, I don't know, maybe there's some off chance that you thought, uh, gosh, okay, a lot of people think this way, and at times I have thought this way, and I've really had to push back and combat it. The more I study God's promises, the more I've had to uh, kind of take a look inside at some of my beliefs and say, wow, that's not, um, what I'm about to share with you is not um, preachy pants, and it's not judgmentalism, and it's not lecturing you. It's, if I sound a little bit excited or, or have passionate, maybe, it's because I'm talking to myself. So um, that's just your forewarning about what I'm about to say. I have used at times the, mm, maybe um, for my sake, I'm going to call it an excuse. The excuse when I've had trouble believing God for something and that belief issue has been really internal. It's my issue. It's not an issue with God. It's an issue with me. I have at times convinced myself that some promises in the Old Testament were not for me. They were only for the Old Testament Jews at that time, and they're not for me. And that was, um, that was me really making a decision to believe that God didn't have good for me in that situation. And there's a lot that that can come from self-pity, self-doubt and orphan spirit. There's just boatloads of things that can be linked to that. But that's, so that's where this is coming from. So I just want to encourage you that if maybe you listened to the last episode and you thought that that promise in Joshua 23 was only for those specific people thousands of years ago, well, we have this verse in the New Testament that completely and totally just like debunks that notion. There's the only way that I could keep on believing that certain promises were only for those people and just were not for me was by choosing to believe that way. Does that kind of make sense, I hope? And I, I have to ask, is there anybody else that thinks that way? And why, why did I ever think it was okay to make a choice, to make a decision, to choose to believe that God doesn't intend to do what he very clearly and plainly says in his living word, the Bible, that he desires and he intends, that he wills and wants to do. 
why would I think like that? So this verse from Second Corinthians has been um, literally a game changer, a life changer for me, because it is a life changer. When you change the way your mind works, you change the way your life is lived. It changes everything because the renewing of your mind by the word of God is what brings um, clarity, freedom, blessing. It just resets everything. It sets us on the course that God has for us. So I had to do that. And I hope this verse does that for you if you need it to. So honestly, it's, it wasn't really very God honoring for me to behave that way, to make that choice that I wasn't going to believe God and then to try to blame it on him and blame it on his word. That was really, that wasn't God honoring. So, and I say this, um, in love, if this is touching a nerve with anybody, but remember, I'm also really mostly sharing my backstory. And so I don't want to be poking at prodding at anybody. I just want to say that, um, I had to learn the hard way that, and based on Jesus's words, when he called people out for their lack of faith, their lack of belief. Um, and sometimes it almost seemed like when he was talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, those were his people. They were the religious leaders of that time that did not really recognize him as Messiah. Sometimes what he would say to them probably left them a little bit ashamed because he would kind of point to uh, Gentiles, those on the outside, those who didn't grow up hearing and having access to the word of God, the scriptures. They didn't have knowledge of the one true God. He would kind of shame his uh, his own people, the Israelites, by saying, these people have faith and belief, and I don't see that in you right now. Uh, so that was pretty convicting to me also. And I have decided that I don't want to err on the side of unbelief. I don't want to say, well, that's probably just for those chosen ones back then. It's not for me. I want to challenge you in the same way that I had to challenge myself to a higher level of belief, to a way of thinking that says, yes, 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 to Jesus all the time like all day, every day, that, that you're somebody who believes and believes and believes again. How great would that be? How great would that be if someone were to describe you and they would say, so-and-so, um, Roxanne, Roxanne, she just believes and believes and believes the Lord again and again and again. That's pretty amazing. I personally want Jesus to be able to say that about me. I want him to say that I had great faith. I really desperately do. I want Jesus to say, Jan Burt had great faith. I do. I want him to say that I had the kind of faith that he responded to and acted on, right? Like, cause when he walked on the earth, we saw him, we read it, read the new Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can see him responding to and acting on faith when he was living on the earth. And I want that for me. I want that for you too. So that's pretty high up there on, like if I had a list that just said big wants and high priorities, that would be up there. Like that's pretty high, probably in like the top three. That would be awesome. So life is just hard sometimes. And I don't want to, um, I'm not making excuses for the hardness of life. We live in a fallen world and we all feel the sting of living in that fallen, broken, sin infested world that we, that we're in right now. That's, I found that that's the primary reason, the big reason why so many believers struggle with taking a faith stance that's in favor of God's promises when it comes to their own lives. Like, um, golly, this is totally true for me, and I'm sure it's true for others. Can you pray God's word and his promises for other people, your kids, maybe your spouse, your pastor, your BFF? Um, even somebody that you see, say you're in a store, you see somebody upset and crying, and you feel like you're you just 
you may not even talk to them, but you just start praying for them as you walk through and do your shopping and you're praying God's promises for them. Do you find it really quick to believe, way more easy to just believe and to have faith when it comes time to pray over those situations than it when it comes time to pray about your own life? I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I want us to get to where we do the same for ourselves that we do for others when we pray God's word over people, that we can pray it over ourselves with the same level of belief. We already know that unbelievers kind of reject God's promises and they call the true things untruth. We see that in our society all the time. But as Christians, sometimes we live like atheists when we just decide to live in unbelief. We can live a lot like unbelievers, like atheists almost all the time in the way that we relate God's promises to our own personal lives. And if you think about it really honestly and objectively for just like even a second or two, you're going to know that, yep, yep, what she's saying is true. I know what she's talking about. I've seen it. I've done it. I've lived it. So if you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have any faith, I don't really have any trust, my belief that Jesus is going to do for me what he outright flat promised in the Bible that he would do is I don't have any belief. How is that actually different from an unbeliever, from a lost person who is just stumbling around in life without the Lord? How can we call ourselves by the name, the description of who we are, our character, our definition? How can we call ourselves believers, but not live believing? We live with unbelief. Oh, golly, there's there's an issue here. There's an issue here. And that's why this verse is so, so important for us. Believers ought to live lives of belief. Believers ought to live lives of belief. If believers don't believe, it's like we're siding with the devil and we're saying we think Satan's going to come out on top at the end of it all. And that's not right. No Christian should be proclaiming that kind of nonsense with their life. And trust me, what you live is what you're proclaiming to the world who's watching and people are watching. That's, that's what unbelief declares to everybody around us, that you think, Satan's going to win in the end. It's damaging to people around us. It's damaging to us individually. It breaks the Lord's heart. It damages the church. Whatever your local church is that you're a part of, your unbelief damages your church body. It's not good for the lost and the dying and the hurting around us. They're pushed further and further from the only hope that they have. The only hope that they have is Jesus. And when they see believers living in total unbelief, they're pushed farther and farther away from the only hope that there is. So like spoiler alert, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't our only hope. It's Jesus. Jesus is. So the question is, do you, do you believe or do you not believe? It's like Dory in the, the Disney movie, Finding Nemo. Do ya, do ya, do ya, do ya, do ya. That's how I want to ask that question. Like, no, there's no time to come up with some pithy reply. No, no opportunity to think through scenarios and frame things rightly so that we use our Christianese, not Portuguese and not Lebanese, but our Christianese language, right? Our toddleries. Did you ever say that about little kids when you couldn't understand them? You'd say, I'm, I'm too old and too far removed from my own kids when they were little. I don't speak toddlerese anymore. So it's, we have Christianese where you can come up with a pithy response that really is a nice way to say, I don't believe. I don't have faith about this. I'm walking in unbelief. We have all these ways we can frame it. But if I say to you, do ya, do ya, do ya, do ya, do ya, and have to get a response right now, forcing you to tell me what is your actual non-politically correct answer. Do you really believe? 
that God's promises for you are true or do you not? I don't want to hear the safe answer. I really don't. I don't want that answer that you think leaves room to not hurt anybody else's feelings. And maybe it won't force you to deal with the, then why did God let such and such happen question? Okay, these are big deals. I get it. We don't like hurting people's feelings. Sometimes if I have total faith and my faith seems to fly in the face of somebody else's really rotten experience right now and that particular issue, it can be painful, but I can't throw away my belief. I can't throw Jesus away because of that. I can't be so worried about, am I going to hurt everybody else's feelings? Because the Lord says we're to fear him more than we fear man. And by fear, it means it can mean revere, respect, honor. We should also be thinking, am I breaking the Lord's heart? Am I hurting his feelings? This other person didn't die for me. Jesus did. I think I can be a little more dialed in. And it doesn't mean you have to throw stuff up in anybody's face. But don't abandon your unbelief to try to make other people feel comfortable. I have done that. I have set aside what I really believed in Bible study sessions, group Bible studies, I've set aside my beliefs, uh, and I thought it was just for the moment, just to kind of let them be okay and not be uh, wounded by maybe what seemed like big, audacious, in-your-face, loud faith that I had on the issue. And I ended up not really believing. Even though I thought, I just won't talk about it right now, something inside of me still took that belief and put it away. It was more than not talking about it. I was doing damage to my own faith by setting aside my faith. So think about that next time you, you feel like you want to be politically correct and not hurt somebody else's feelings. You're going to, you're going to pay in ways that you don't even know. And as for the big question of why did God let this happen or that happen? Listen, it's totally okay to have things that are beyond your pay grade. It's okay to not have all the answers for other people and for your own life. It's okay to point people to Jesus, the one who does have all the answers and at the same time, refuse to live without um, that sense of unbelief. Like you can, you can say, I don't have all the answers, but Jesus does. And I'll pray for you on that. And I'm so sorry. I may give you a hug. In fact, I'll pray for you right now. I hope I can encourage you to keep seeking the Lord on this issue. And at the same time, my belief is going to be strengthened. It's not going anywhere. I'm not budging. So do you live your day-to-day life like an atheist or like a believer? It's one of the two. And I get it. This sounds harsh, I know, but is it really actually all that harsh? Or are we just super easily offended? Are we kind of tender-footed and we don't really have the ability to hear truth well anymore? I think that's part of it. We can't just like, gosh, it's like we can't stomach hard truths and difficult teachings very well anymore. We long for easy street. Hey, we do. Just own it. We all want easy street. We all want the good life. We live in a very westernized culture and the good life here to us, I'm an American, the good life equals a life of ease. That's really what we think the good life is, a life of ease. But what if God's version of the good life might have a whole different description? Comfortable lives, that's probably way more important to us than we would like to have to admit out loud. So we almost kind of like revolt when we're asked to step up to the plate and believe God's word, like actually acting on it, depending on it, banking on it, relying on it, leaning on it, living out God's promises by faith, not by sight, by faith, by faith. What do we need to happen? What needs to take place in order for us to really, really step out in faith? 
For some people, it just takes a difficult situation, a tough trial. Other people respond to the Lord's discipline. Some people just need to find their tribe. And by tribe, I mean that group of like-minded folks, a small group, a Sunday school class, a church family, maybe a close friend to, you know, like take walks with and have coffee with, somebody who will pray for you and who will pray with you. What might it take for you to live in greater belief? That's a serious question. What's it going to take for you to live in greater belief? I don't want you to just drive on, um, move on from this podcast and never revisit this really important thought. What's it going to take for you to live in greater belief that what God has promised is actually true for you? Maybe this little podcast will help. Maybe um, I have a free Facebook group where I do live videos, try to do them every week. Titus 2 Discipleship with Jan Elbert. Maybe that would help. You can um, connect with other people in there. Sometimes people are more chatty and connect better via social media than they do. I mean, it's hard to connect with other listeners to a podcast. Maybe that would help. Or find somebody who is doing Facebook live videos or Instagram stories that are really encouraging, that would encourage you to grow your faith. And by grow your faith, I mean just live in greater belief. What about, um, gosh, are you in a Bible study, an online one? What about if your church doesn't have one or if it meets on a night that you work late or your kid has volleyball, can you join something like um, community Bible study or Bible study fellowship? Those are in most larger cities. Um, Of course, look at your church first, but sometimes the nights don't. I've had times where I haven't been able to attend the women's groups. I've had to do outside things. What about a friend's group at her church? Somebody that you really love, have known for a long time, you're good friends, and she has this thing that meets on Monday nights. Maybe you could join her for that. Take a course online. Just do something. Let, let, how about if each one of us just gets started on whatever it is that we need to be doing to grow our faith and our belief? Hey, even those really terrible, painful life events can be counted as blessings when we look at them as opportunities to take God at his word and stand on his promises. And really, that's exactly what they are. The hardest of seasons is just an opportunity to take God at his word and stand on his promises. And when you've done everything you can, having done all, just stand. Whatever you do, don't sit down and give it up. Give up. Just stand. Just stand. Battling health issues. What about this? Battling health issues to the tune of a diagnosis of heart failure. That's my reality. It was, I was diagnosed in the spring of 2016 and uh, the problem was there before that. I just didn't really know that that's what it was. And I'm still dealing with it on, on the daily every day. But you know what? That has not soured me, not one bit when it comes to believing God. In fact, I just, I believe in bigger and bigger. I believe in more and more. It's just grown me in all the right ways. I would never, this is just one example, but I would never in a million years have this podcast if I had not gotten so sick. There's absolutely no way. That's just a truth bomb for you. So please don't think I'm preaching at you from some place of high on her horse who got it all together. Absolutely not. If I had not been dealt the, the hand, the hand I'm looking at when I'm playing the card game of life right now is heart failure. I would not have this podcast. I would not have um, so many things. I would never have started conference speaking. Just these things would not be happening. I wouldn't have done it. Now, I don't want anybody to experience heart failure. I'm not saying that. Absolutely not. But I don't not want the growth for you. Like I've grown so much through this and have gained so much through this. I don't not want that for anybody. How could I ever say I don't want that for somebody? I don't want you to be sick, but I want you to have the growth. I want you to experience it. So I hope that 
today's podcast is kind of pushing and pulling and moving you to a deeper walk, a deeper place of belief, faith, trust, let's get better together and let's do it walking side by side with the Lord, with Jesus. So as many as are the promises of God in our dearly beloved Jesus, they're all answered. Yes. Why? Yes. Yes. That's good news. That's good news. It's kind of like the best news ever. As many are the promises of God, as many as are promises that God has made us, they're all yes in Jesus. That's amazing. Don't let yourself forget that the yes that Jesus offers and the amen, that means he has completed the work necessary to prove every promise of God is true, is for you today. This is good news, but it's your good news. Your good news. Every yes that Jesus offers and every amen that Jesus offers is for you. And he speaks it over every promise of God for you. So live in it. Live in it. Oh, I hope you live in it today. Thank you so much. A ton. Thank you a ton for joining me today. This is a not too long. This podcast will end up being about half an hour. So that's not terrible about like I like them to be. So I appreciate you joining me. I hope that this has stirred up something in your heart today. Just the goodness of the Lord toward you. It's overwhelming. And I don't want you to miss out on even the tiniest bit of that goodness ever. So I'll be back um, next week for another episode of the Burt Not Ernie show. And you can find me other places in the meantime, like um, f- look for me on Facebook. Facebook, I guess, Titus 2 Discipleship at Jan Albert. You can find me on Instagram. I've got these things in the show notes. Um, Twitter, I have a weekly newsletter where I just send out some verses. And uh, Monday through Friday, like I don't send out five, I send out one newsletter, not five, but one newsletter that has verses for five days of the week. And then just a little prayer for you about each one, just to keep God's promises inside of you. It's like getting the word of God into the women of God is really the coolest thing in the world. And I'd love to connect with you in any of those places. So um, you can also leave a comment. I do read all of those. Uh, There's no like Facebook bots replying to anything. It's just me. So you can find me in those places if you'd like to. Lord bless you. And I'm so thankful for each one of you. I really, truly am. Okay, I think that is it until next week. I am going to wrap this up and see you next time. Ciao, everybody. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.